Hey, welcome to the Eat Local New York podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Tringale. And in this week's episode, my guest is Abigail from Farm Girl Juicery. Um, if you listen to the podcast, then you know, or if you're a subscriber to our YouTube channel, then you know that um, I recently completed a six-day juice and broth reset, uh, thanks to Abigail. I was doing, uh, you know, I'd reach out to Abigail uh, a couple months ago and wanted to know if they did this sort of a thing, sort of a juice cleanse, and uh, Abigail had been putting one together, and uh, I got to be the guinea pig to uh, take it through the beta test and for the last six days. And the plan all along was to have that end with uh, this podcast with Abigail. And I have to say, um, this was, you know, my favorite podcast that I've done of this year. Uh, I had such a great time talking with Abigail and and um, unfortunately, is what happens with most of my pod, our podcast here, the local New York, is that I talk quite a bit, but also just getting to learn more about Abigail and uh, just being able to have a conversation with her. And it was great. And I really hope that you not only enjoy this conversation, but that you more importantly go down and support uh, Abigail at her uh, juice stand. They're located down in the Salt City Market. And also out in North Syracuse next to, um, what is the name of that place? Next to Jake Hafner's and uh, Core. Yeah, that's where they're at. <laughs> next to the, what is the name of that place? Um, no, but go out there and support them, especially if you're in downtown at the Salt City Market. And uh, that's all I got. Without further ado, here's this week's episode conversation between myself and Abigail Henson. The cleanse, so the reset. Mm-hmm. reset. Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> the reset. I So I didn't do put any of the daily vlogs out because yeah. I was fighting a cold the entire time. <gasps> like from oh, day no. one, like morning one, I woke up with like a sore throat and I was just like kind of feeling bad and, you yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, just like achy the entire, so I knew I was fighting a cold. Okay. And so I was like popping vitamin C and vitamin D yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And so because of it, the cl- like the reset was really rough. Okay. And so I feel like I didn't want to put something out there and be like, I feel like shit. You know? yeah. <laughs> like, my Shoot. back hurts, my throat hurts, you know, mm. um, or anything. So I'm going to do like, uh, I put obviously our, our interview out and then yeah. I'm, I'm going to do this and then we're going to, I'm going to do like a. Once my voice comes back, because then I woke up yesterday morning, and my voice was shot for some reason. So, mm. uh, yeah, so it's been it's been a challenge. Why didn't you tell me? You should have just been like canceled. No, I didn't want to do that because I knew mm. like you know you would put all this effort into it, so I didn't yeah. want to be like, hey, we're gonna have to reset the reset. But did you feel like it was a bad time for you to do it for your body, or did you think mm. like, no. like? You were already feeling crappy, so you might as well just like go through the motions. So the thing that I've realized mm-hmm. about this is um, uh, 
I make a lot of excuses mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, things are never my fault. And uh, um, you don't have the ability to blame anyone or anything else when you're on a cleanse or a reset. Mm. You know, it like makes you really weak mm. and um, it's like humbling. And so, but, um, you know, I'm not typically like a macho aggressive person. Uh, but it's kind of like, uh, it's like you, d- it like pulls out your inner little bitch, you know, <laughs> it's like, you know, you're walking or I'm walking around being, you know, not only cause I'm fighting the cold, but even just the cleanses I've done in the past, it's like, you know, the, like the key time in every day of the cleanse for me is like that three, three thirty to five, mm-hmm. you know, hour or two hours. And those are the times where it's like, all right, this is stupid. I just need to get something. I need to go eat food, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, that's kind of the time where it's like, all right, you have to like man up and kind of, you know, you know, not be a little bitch right now and yeah. not give in to. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of how this was. Although I will say that like um, the challenge for me was with the broth, not if I wasn't here. Mm-hmm. or at my house, which I'm never at my house. Right. And How I'm, are you going to heat it? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And so there was two or three days where I was like, I was going to be in the car for the next five hours, Yep. you know, going from meeting to meeting. And so I would either like have the juice instead of the broth, mm-hmm. or I would just go those hours without anything. Yep. And that was like challenging, sure. you know, because now I'm like, now I'm really miserable, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, mm-hmm. The first day I was just like, I'm not drinking coffee. I'm not drinking beer. So what am I drinking? And so the first day I had nothing to drink. And so then I was like dehydrated at the end of the day. No. Like my head was, I mean, it was, <laughs> so like, this sounds like a disaster. I know it was, but let's get uh, a testimony. <laughs> <laughs> so if you too want to feel humbled for a week, uh, no, but, um, I think, uh, like I said, I think, um, you kind of, I should put myself into situations where um, I'm probably going to fail or put myself into situations that are going to be really demanding, mm-hmm. but also hopefully be mature enough to like accept that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I don't do that. And so um, this is like the ultimate, there's no excuse, for, you know, you can't get out of it. There's mm-hmm. no one else to blame. There's nothing to blame. Um, you just kind of have to you either do it or you don't. Yep. You know, sort of a thing. That is the biggest challenge. You're only up against yourself, really. Like right. no one is. I mean, there's a certain level of accountability that I would like to build into it more so than what I was doing with you like that. Yeah. That Facebook group, um, the Community Juice Project, yeah. so that it's like a daily prompt, mm-hmm. a daily check-in you're with another small group of people. So there's always 10 to 15 people experiencing the same thing at the same time. So that you can kind of, uh, commiserate and applaud each other at the same time. I really think that part of the hardest thing with a reset or cleanse is the mental piece of it. Yeah. So that doesn't surprise that feedback doesn't surprise me at all. (laughs) Yeah. There was a time years ago when, um, 
uh, I mean, years ago, when I was, I would go running a lot. And mm-hmm. I was just like in this running kick. And for some reason, it just like picked up out of nowhere. And I started running a lot around the, like, you know, the city. And um, I would run barefoot outdoors and uh oh you're one of those <laughs> yeah and like real barefoot not like the barefoot shoes yeah. but just like real My gosh. barefoot like and so there was this one night where i bought like a camel back and like i got off work late at nine i went to walmart to buy this camel back i went home and i was said i'm gonna go run like two or three miles and test this thing out well that night i wound up doing like 13 miles. Stop it. And it didn't even feel like anything. No. And so I got home and I was like, wow. And you know, I like, I looked at my phone. I saw how like far I'd run. And I was like, man, I was just short of a half marathon. And so I thought, you know, the next time I have off, I'm going to like plan the route. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go run a half marathon. And so, um, so I like planned for it, you know, uh, I was going to run for like halfway up Skinny Atlas Lake, which was into the village, which is mm-hmm. exactly like a half marathon. And I got out there and got like three miles in and gave up. I mean, it was just like, it was a miserable, it was like hot, you know, it was like <laughs> in the middle of the summer. Um, I was like out of my water by mile. It was just absolutely terrible. And um, this versus the last like cleanse that I did kind of felt the same way. Like the first, gotcha. like the last time I did it, it was just like, okay, day one, day two kind of sucked, but then I'm kind of You're in the rhythm. cruising, yep. like, you know, maybe I could go eight days. And, um, and you know, and that's kind of what was like, oh, wow. All right. I, I feel really mentally clear and fluid when I'm on a, when I'm on a cleanse and, you know, and, uh, and kind of grounded and get some clarity on stuff. So yeah, I can do, I can do seven days. And this one, it was like, no, day two, what the hell are you doing? You don't, you weren't prepared for this. Dang it. That's, that's none of which is your fault. (laughs) I know, Um, but I just wish you could have gotten the benefit from it, you know? I did. There was like, there was a five minute stretch in there where I was really focused. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, uh, No, there was like, I think day three. Day three, I was like really focused, you know, Mm -hmm. um, uh, felt really good on it, you know, um, Sunday, the, like my first full day off of it. Um, I just noticed how it's even, um, changed some of like my more like routine in terms of like eating and drinking. Mm -hmm. So not that this is necessarily a healthy thing to do, but like Sunday morning, I got a cup of coffee at seven and then I didn't eat anything until like three, mm-hmm. which prior to the reset, I would typically have like either, uh, you know, breakfast taco or mm-hmm. yo or whatever. First thing in the morning by 1130, you know, that's at six by like 1130 or 12. I'm like, you know, okay, I need to go with something to eat. And I go with something really unhealthy, really quick, you know? Yep. So yeah. I noticed that was different. Same thing. That's good. You know, same thing today with it. Um, so, yeah, so it's, you know, it does kind of, you know, reset your course a little. Yeah. You know, helps you kind of break some of your habits. And it should change your cravings a little bit because the cravings are really about ping-ponging back and forth on yeah. that spectrum. So you're always on one extreme side or the other right. so that you can get back to that center. You know, it's like 
if you're all the way over here and then you're all the way over here, yeah. it's, it's, you have to be on those extreme polar opposites in order for the center to be yeah. neutralized. So when you start your reset, you're bringing those yeah. closer to the middle. Right. So you have less of a shift. So mm. it's easier for your body to correct. Yeah. So cravings really come from that polarity. Yeah. Um, all right. Sounds like there was a little bit of a, a byproduct of yeah, positivity sure. from it. It was definitely a positive <clears throat> experience. Um, I mean, my voice sounds amazing right now, so <laughs> I'm really happy about that. Uh, <laughs> Keep it. Um, uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. No, it was um, it was definitely very challenging, but um, yeah, I'm glad I was able to like and thank you for letting me be the person to kind of go through it first. Um, and I mentioned that in a couple of the videos that I did of, you know, like, I'm sure it would be easier having that Facebook group and that support yeah. group. And one thing I think would be cool to do on your end would be to have like, whether it be daily or multiple times a day, like ways for people to access some sort, like aside from the Facebook group, I was thinking like, what if there is a video of you mm -hmm. talking about, okay, here's day two. Yep. This is, you know, like you had the blocks of like things to focus on and consider, you know, yeah. and you're talking about that yeah. for like a five minute video. Yep. That they could wake up to and turn that on or whatever. Essentially that will be part of the Facebook group. So it would cool. kind of be like, yeah. here's your access code to like this day one video or, yeah. or it could even be through a text message. Cause like I said, I really only yeah. want to do 10 to 15 of these a month and do them yeah. in small group setting. Um, <clears throat> so we're not looking to right. commercialize this in any way right. anytime <laughs> yeah, soon. Sure. Yeah. Um, it should be a benefit for us and it should be a benefit for people that are asking and like, we're just going to roll it out as the first Monday for each month for the first few months, just so that we can yeah. get a gist of our capacity. Cause it ends up being a lot. I mean, you're doing 32 ounce jars. Yeah. So you in total for your six day reset had 22, mm. 32 ounce jars. Yeah. Right. So, you know, that just like capacity wise yeah. of making for sure. the product. Um, yeah. I'm not a machine yet. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's still really hand produced yeah. and hopefully even though you were sick or maybe you weren't able to tell, but hopefully you found a culinary element yeah. within the product itself. So one thing I like to say is this should be a product or a reset for people that actually do love food. Like I'm yeah. not looking to make this a torturous experience right, yeah. for anyone. I'm hoping that these flavor profiles come out and you can tell that it's a slow process yeah. on my end so that it's a convenient yeah. option for you on your end. I really like the campfire <clears throat> squash broth. I really like the chicken and citrus. Okay, nice. Yeah, I like both juices. Um, that tea, I'm pretty sure, is served in hell. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I drink it every morning. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, man, that stuff is black as death. Really? Oh, God, yeah. I had, I did do an event at Gearhars, That's and I was fun. like, I had this set up with me and I had that, I had the whole jar with me. Yeah. It was like, again, one of those times where it was like off. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to drink this tea for the next three hours. And I'm like sitting there with it. Like, That's so funny. I noticed drinking it out of that jar itself was really challenging for me to drink. Yeah. The very next day I got like a iced coffee cup Yeah. and put ice in it and drank it like it was an iced coffee and it was fine. That's 
one of the tips, I don't know if I put it on the tip sheet, but making sure that you have a vessel that's almost ritualistic, like yeah. I'm going to use a cocktail glass for my yeah. evening juice and my favorite mug for this tea. And I really love that tea heated up as well. But to mm. your point, yeah. Um, you know, that could be difficult for somebody if they're already on the run for the day yeah. or having a thermos and making that plan ahead a little bit, which right. is something that <clears throat> they recommend. Yeah, for sure. Well, All if right. you ever want to do the videos, I want to do them for you for free. Okay. This is my little thank you for letting me do this. Well, I don't want you make make you relive the whole experience over, but... <laughs> no, I don't mean me doing another reset and filming yeah. it. I mean the videos of you explaining things oh, for the cool, people cool, that cool. go through it. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. If you Very ever want cool. to do those videos, we'll I would love them. to. Yeah. yeah. That's perfect. Um, yeah. So, well, cheers to uh, yeah, torturing me. Yeah, you got through it. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah. And you did it. You asked for it. I did not twist your arm. I just gave you the product. My wife was doing... She didn't do a juice cleanse or reset. She did some sort of like a shake powder yeah. or water thing um, throughout the week. And uh, she didn't have a good time on hers either. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. Um, you said they were coming in like little pouches? Yeah. Was, so she eat, was she combining the pouch with? The week before I did the reset, she had like these pouches of juice that she had bought. And I, it wasn't like a full sup, like a cleanse. This is all you have. It was just like a supplement in mm -hmm. addition to. And then the week that I was doing the reset, it was almost like a protein vitamin shake thing. Okay. I don't know how many you had during a day, but I think it was like two or three a day. Mm -hmm. um, maybe more than that. It was just like powder and then add water and shake it in like a blender ball. Yeah. You know, and um, <clears throat> looked kind of gross. And uh, <laughs> she didn't really like those either. Um, so yeah, but, um, yeah. Well, at least you did it around the same time because one of the hardest things is controlling our willpower. So yeah, I always let people know, like you can't control your willpower. Like very few of us can, yeah. so you have to control your environment. So before the cleanse, really making sure there's not too many chips in the cupboard that you can snap, right. you know, like what are you going to reach for when you just want something crunchy or you just want the mechanics of chewing? And, yeah. and there's a whole other science behind like, where do our cravings and our habits even come from? Like, do we want, are we hungry or do we just want yeah. our teeth to move? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? For sure. Um, yeah. <clears throat> there is a, um, that room, I don't know why that reminds me of, but there's a book I read years ago and um, it's called Blue Like Jazz. And the subtitle of the book is um, uh, Christian Spirituality for Non-Religious People. Interesting. And uh, yeah, so the author's name is Don Miller and New York Times bestseller, that book and a few of his other books. But uh, anyways, long story short, um, that book comes out, Blue Like Jazz, New York Times bestseller. It's like the book for a generation of Christians. Uh, people who grew up in church and uh, like myself mm -hmm. and he, so he opened up the um, democratic national convention with the opening prayer, the first year that Barack Obama ran. Um, so not like your typical, what you would expect, like Christian person lived in Portland, all that kind of stuff. I'm trying to paint him in a better light after the title of that book. Uh, but anyways, <laughs> um, so, 
after he writes that book and it's a New York Times bestseller, these pr- movie producers come to him and they say, Don, we want to turn your this book into a movie. And so long story short, they wind up going through the process to adapt it for screen and they go through the writing process of turning the book into the movie and making the book into the script. And uh, they're changing. Uh, they're like sitting in his living room, you know, plotting out the storyline. And they keep... Blue Like Jazz was like a memoir and so for Don, of Donald. So they're changing these things about his life from mm-hmm. the book to put it onto the screenplay. And he's saying... They're saying, you know, all the characters should work in a factory and, you know, there should be this girl that he really wants to date and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, and Don's saying, yeah, but those things didn't happen to me. And yeah, what the heck, man? So so finally Mm. they stop and they say, well, your life is kind of boring. And so we have to do this to move the story along inside the movie. Um, So he winds up going to this, it's a real thing, going to this. I don't know if it still exists, but it's basically a one-day intensive for screenwriters. Mm-hmm. Um, did you ever see the movie Adaptation with Nicolas Cage? Oh, my gosh, yes. All right, so that class. That, One of my favorite movies. Yeah, yeah, mine too. That class that he's in, that they go to where it's the seminar and he's like sitting yeah. taking notes, that's the class. That's a real class. So cool. And uh, this guy comes out on stage and for like eight hours just talks. Mm-hmm. And that's it, you know. And um, so... Donald goes to that course and um, he learns all all the things about story, you know, all the parts of it. And um, he writes another book all about this experience of making the movie. It's called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. And the whole premise of the book is essentially looking at our lives as we're writing our own movie, Mm -hmm. our own screenplay, you know. And the concept is, is your, you know, is your the movie of your life going to be uh boy wants brand new Volkswagen Jetta boy gets a job at the grocery store stocking shelves <laughs> to save up for the down payment and the end credits are driving off the lot of the dealership in your new <laughs> Jetta you know and so that's essentially the concept is like live a more exciting life um so one of the things, this is such a long buildup for such a, like, really not important <laughs> I'm really enjoying part. it, though. This is really good. Um, I'm loving this story time. Uh, <laughs> so one of the things in story is the inciting incident, right? It's like the action that's beyond the main character's control that leads them into the yeah, next that corner. Where is thing. the corner? Like, where right. does it take the turn yeah. in his life? Like, exactly. Yeah. So he talks about um, in his life, for a group of his friends said that they were going to, um, uh, you know, go on a trip and they were all going to hike the Inca Trail, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, uh, it's something that he typically um, would never have done. But his inciting incident in order to force himself to, like, get into shape in order to be able to hike this trail is... He books the pays for the plane ticket and pays for the trip and all that kind of stuff. And then that's like he has to now, you know, he can't, you know, he rode his bicycle across the country with a group of people to raise money for charity. And, you know, he like paid for it it. so he couldn't get out of it. Stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, What's my point to all of this? Uh, (laughs) I'm excited to learn. The point is that 
a lot of times I won't generalize and say people, but a lot of times for myself, I will do those things. I like commit to it. Yeah. I like pay for the entry fee and then just not do it. Yeah. But for some reason, a juice cleanse that is, you know, um, this also tells you how easy of a life I've had is maybe one of the hardest things I've done. <laughs> not one of the hardest, uh, wow. but it's pretty fucking challenging <laughs> to do a seven day juice cleanse. And, uh, I've never backed out of that. I'm happy to say. So yeah, I think that's that was a long really build up of. for that really well. It brings non-essential two, point. two things to mind. First, how did he sell his book into a movie if they didn't think it was exciting? Like that's yeah, it was. That's pr- kind of an amazing achievement for him. It's actually so um, in real life. He uh, it actually that movie bankrupted him. Um, that movie was uh, because when they put out the finished product um it uh of the movie it wasn't normal and like edgy enough to be appealing to like non-christian audiences Mm. but it was also just edgy enough and too revealing to not be appealing to the christian audiences Mm -hmm. um and so he had like invested all of his money to get that movie made and it just like tanked. Um, Ooh. yeah, it's actually, Bummer. yeah, it's, 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 um, it's a, like the whole in- thing is kind of interesting. So he's written a few books. One of them was called, um, uh, what was the name of that? Um, God, my father and me, I think No, it's a different book. Something about like, you know, his dad like mm-hmm. skipped out on him when they were young and, you know, having that perception of God as your father, you know? So, if your dad skips out on you, then God skipped out on you. That sort of a thing. And um, uh, Blue Like Jazz was a really, like, um, important book, I think, in, like, Christianity. Because um, for a lot of people who grew up, um, have you ever read, like, Charles Bukowski? Mm-mm. Charles Bukowski is a perverted son of a bitch. But he's a really talented, popular writer, uh, you know literary artist and he's dead now, but he wrote a lot years ago. And, um, uh, as somebody who grew up in church and was like involved in church and worked at churches and all that kind of stuff, there was like a normal side to me that would smoke cigarettes and, you know, get drunk and all that kind of stuff. And, um, blue like jazz was the book that kind of told a lot of people like me inside of church that it's okay to do those things. Like there's a story of this, you know, friend of his, uh, two friends of his who are like working through their emotional issues inside of spirituality, but they would explore like Christianity and like reading, like discovering the Bible together by drinking wine and eating chocolate and smoking cigarettes, you know? Which humanize it. Yeah, exactly. Make it feel like, like make it normal. Accessible. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, and for a lot of people in the early two thousands, that was like a new wave of Christian culture mm-hmm. where people were starting to kind of see like, okay, I can have, I can have a relationship with Jesus and believe in all these things and still be a human. Yeah. You know, like I can, go do, you know, I can go into the woods and have church, right? You know, yeah. I can you know, smoke a cigarette and still be saved, you know, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. Yes. Not um, demonizing exactly. every action that makes you feel guilty, personally guilty. Right. And so he went to school for a semester or a year 
Um, as an adult, he audited classes at Reed uh, College out in, I think, Portland, um, which, you know, Reed is known. That's where um, Steve Jobs attended for a little bit. And, um, you know, that's known for there's no grades and professors can't assign yeah. anything, you know, and mm-hmm. this really, but, you know, these brilliant people come out of uh, this university. And they have this two-day event every year where they lock the campus off to all police and outside anything. And um, there's, like, they have really specific things set up for students to, like, experiment with, like, LSD or whatever. And, like, the safe thing that can, like, really heighten, you know, their experience. (laughs) It's just kind of like, I don't want to say debauchery, but, you know, from the (laughs) outside. like like their own personal burning man. Exactly. It's just right. like you're here, you're in the bubble. Yeah. You're safe to explore. Right. And we got you. Right. Like So this tiny group of, and like 12 of them, you know, Jesus people, Christians, that were attending <laughs> Reed College at this time, um, during this festival, set up a confession booth and took turns dressing up as the Pope. And um, when... Someone would sit in the other side of the confession booth. The person dressed as the Pope would confess the sins of Christianity to these, you know, other people. And um, that was like a big moment in the book, you know. So um, and that was like just kind of another pivotal thing, I think, in Christianity in the early 2000s of people saying, oh, so this stuff that's been happening in church is fucked up, you know, Mm -hmm. and uh, it's okay. Like, that's not. Uh, it's not okay that that happened and we shouldn't, you know, pretend that it is. Yeah. I don't know why I'm talking so much about <laughs> Christianity. <laughs> uh, it's okay. You, you don't plan it, right? You don't plot it. I don't. We just go where the story goes. I don't anything when I do these podcasts. <laughs> no, uh, it's interesting. And I think that, like you said, every once in a while, a new voice or a new wave or a new perspective comes out that kind of can unify another portion of yeah. a category yeah. that just turns it on its head. And yeah. so I think we need that over and over and over again in mm-hmm. every category. Yeah. Um, and that's why podcasts like this are important. Right. So you get, you get to hear and dip <laughs> into like different points of views. And, yeah. and the other thing that you said on the first part of telling the story <laughs> <laughs> that it was like, ding, ding, ding. Um, is that idea of signing up for something before you're really ready for it. Yeah. And that's just the only way I have ever progressed really with my entrepreneurial pursuit. Like last year at this time, I mean, you couldn't pay me enough money to go back to this moment of just being (laughs) like, how are we going to make this actually happen? You know, it was like a year leading up to it. I could have had a whole salary worth of, you know, a year's worth to save up, but my calendar had been cleared because Mm. of COVID. And then it was just like the project itself was going to happen with or without me. Mm. So I've done that over and over again, where it's just like, am I ready? No. Will I ever be? No. So just sign your your name on the dotted line and figure it out. And that's something that Mm. um, the the creator of the natural gourmet that I went to in Manhattan, Anne-Marie Colbin, she said at our graduation, she was just like, just say yes and figure it out later. Like Mm. whatever the opportunities are that come, um, they knock at your door and you're even a little bit interested in it. Just do it. You'll figure it out. Mm. 
so far we figured it out. Yeah. <laughs> it's always nice to have, you know, the support and the people coming through the door. Um, but for anyone that's thinking of starting something, there's yeah. just not going to be a good time to begin. Yeah. You know, like there's not a perfect moment. Mm-hmm. Um, it was so far from perfect before we started last year at this time. And I don't know, things just fall into place. If you really, really want them to, you really want to, you really want to get to where you're going to go. Um, things will align. Yeah. It's not going to feel like a study ship, <laughs> but you know, it'll straighten itself out eventually. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I feel like that a lot. Um, so how do you, you know, you say yes to it and you kind of get, go- you like, you get going, but are you, are you, th- are you, um, do you have like an end goal for it? I don't know the end goal is the right word. I have a feeling. Yeah. I have, there's something between a feeling and a vision and this like interstitial kind of um, movement and exchange between people in this community. And mm. I do draw things out on paper quite a bit. I mean, yeah. I just, I have a large butcher block. I don't have it on a wall. I just spread it kind of across a room like this. Yeah. It's just a scroll. And if I need more room, I just kick it out a little further. Yeah. And, and then sometimes after I write on it for a couple hours, I just roll it up and it sits in the corner of the room and I never look at it again. Yeah. But the, the idea was in the motion of putting it down. Sure. Um, and sometimes I do unroll it and I look back and I'll say, well, I wrote all this out five years ago and like check a bunch of stuff yeah. off of it and just be like, I did that. I did that. I did that. Yeah. Um, it's more, uh, it's a little bit more organic of a process, I guess, you know, like I knew I wanted to come back, focus more on my beverages this time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, <laughs> when they asked me what my goal was during the interview for Salt City Market, because ironically I was on the interview panel oh, up until the very end. And then they were like, would you ever consider being, they wanted two people in the market that had already done something. Yeah. So they were like, would you ever consider being a second stepper? Um, and at that time I was really nervous to say yes to it because I didn't want, I didn't want to take a chance and fail in front of all of these other people (laughs) I had just like trained and gotten to the point of like, do I really want to be next to everyone? Do I want to be in the public light again? Um, Hmm. what is success and what is failure and what, what side of that equation am I on? Um, so they asked what my goal was and I said my goal was to stay as small as possible. (laughs) But it's almost impossible. It's just, it's, you have to kind of scale when and where you have to. And so the things I'm doing now, reaching out and creating these little satellite groups that are juice groups, that's another extension of what we're doing. Um, Hmm. Doing these reset programs, that's a whole other direction. But people are asking for it. And so Hmm. I feel the need to create something to meet that demand. And it falls within an overarching theme of my design, my brand design, my brand architecture. Hmm. So yeah. And I think that's a very good uh, term that people should remember is the brand architecture, like kind of build the bones, figure out what your foundation is, figure out what your four pillars are, start laying that little bit brick by brick. And if at some point something kind of comes in and it doesn't fit with what you feel is right, then don't go in that direction. Hmm. (laughs) You know, if it does, then step into it, see how it goes or where it leads you. Um, and so even the reset was something that people have been asking me that since day one. And hmm. it wasn't kind of until you had asked me and I started designing it. And I said, like, 
I need to tie this concept to an assignment so I can just get it done. Yeah. Because I've had the jars, I've ha- you know, I have the ingredients, I have the kitchen, but I needed someone <laughs> who was essentially going to hold me accountable. So if it wasn't useful for you, it was very useful for <laughs> it was, me. <laughs> it was definitely very useful for me. Yeah. It was, um, you know, just a way to see it come to a physical form. Yeah. Give it to someone. You know, that process in and of itself is kind of a little scary. So it's kind of like, all right, it's out there and I can let other people know it's available. And January 1st, we're going to kick it off. So yeah. January cool. 3rd, really. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't have an end goal. Yeah. Do it until it doesn't make me happy anymore and then don't do it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's always my goal. Very hedonistic in that sense. Yeah. But there's something about entrepreneurship and food and the two of them together that just keeps pulling me back. Hmm. And it's funny because when I, part of what I do in this community is help other people get to that, like take that step from thinking about it to doing it. But I also now, since I started in 2009 with that kind of, um, with that focus or with that, I guess, responsibility that I've had here in Syracuse, I'm more and more and more realistic. Mm. You know, I used to be a very good cheerleader. I used to kind of just like jump blindly off that cliff, you know, leap in the net will appear. And now I'm like, well, what are the top three things that are the most important things to you in your life? Mm. And are you willing to sacrifice those? Yeah. You know, it's not an easy road, but it's one that I enjoy very much. Yeah. But now I just, I'm a lot more sensitive when people that I love and care about want to get into it, hmm. um, really want to make sure they are prepared for what it's going to take yeah. to get it done. So, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, I was just thinking about, I was actually just said that to my wife yesterday or the day before, when did we go out to dinner? Um, yesterday. And, um, yeah, don't give yourself away. If you said Saturday, I wouldn't know Friday. I would have been like, you cheated. We, we went somewhere Saturday. <laughs> I forget if we were eating or if we were drinking or something. It was yesterday. No, it was yesterday. Um, you know, before, I mean, I just went full time with this in September, but you know, a few months leading up to that, I was thinking about selling half of the business mm-hmm. and, um, you know, and you know, if you had asked me today, I wish I would have wished, I wish I would have sold the business you know, that part of the business. Um, but, uh, yeah, you really do have to make those sacrifices, uh, in certain areas if you're going to do what you want to do. Yep. And, um, you know, that's one thing, um, you know, I'm 35 and, uh, that still is kind of shocking to me. Um, (laughs) get over it. Yeah. (laughs) You're only going up from here. I know. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And, uh, yeah, and which sucks, <laughs> but, um, well, it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to, I'm not, you know, I'm yeah. not trying to be, you know, but, uh, you're right. I, you know, there's, you can't have everything. And so, and I've often thought about that with a lot of, with, you know, as I was in like my late twenties, I thought about that. Like, it's not, there's not necessarily one thing. It's, there's many things you just have to, mm-hmm. you know, choose it. What is it? The Sylvia Plath, um, is it the fig trees? It's the figs, right? Mm. Figs in the tree. Um, you tell me. I think that's what it is. Okay. Um, uh, but anyways, yeah, it's about picking your thing yeah. and then going with that. 
it is hard. It's hard. I mean, there's a limited amount of time. There's a limited amount of resources. Um, and there are so many interesting directions. I think most of my life I was very nervous about what I was going to decide or if it was going to be the right or the wrong thing. But even if you do decide something yeah. and you go for it, you don't like it. Right. Decide the next thing, you know, like you yeah. do, you should decide them one at a time. And I think what I've done with this is kind of created a culmination of everything I've ever loved to work on under, under that umbrella. Yeah. You know, I love, um, I love to still coach for entrepreneurship. I love to create, I love to, um, I can't say that I love to cook and that's going to sound crazy. I don't love to cook under pressure and it's always under pressure with something like this. Um, so I do feel a little detached from, from that at the moment, but it is just, um, an amalgamation of so many different things that I love, you know, food community and entrepreneurship, those three things, just repeating themselves. Um, and then every once in a while I'm like, I went to school to be a photographer and I didn't do that. <laughs> you know, I, I, I got in theology. and I immediately yeah. changed to advertising. I immediately really? went, you know, it was like the best day of my life when I got accepted to FIT for, for photography. And instead I switched over into business and in my mind, I was just kind of like, this is safer. I can yeah. always do photography. And by the way, at that time it was still film. So now I'm dating oh, my myself. <laughs> where it was like, I'll never have a digital camera the next year. I'm yeah. like, I'll never shoot with film again. Right. You know, <laughs> it's like I was right on that cusp. Um, That's how it was for me in high school photography classes in yeah. 2000, you know, three, four, five. Yep. Uh, was film. You know, yeah. you had to put your hands into that bag and develop the film yourself. Yep. So, and I loved that process and I loved, I loved the capturing that moment and I loved the design. Um and so every once in a while, you know, I'm just like, you can still do that. Yeah. You know, it's not, life isn't over yet. You can still right. figure out something that goes along with this project that, that fits in that realm without it having to be your full-time career. Yeah. So, yeah. Hmm. I, I just, I remember one time writing a, an email back to my parents and just kind of like lamenting over a decision I had to make and maybe, maybe asking for their advice or maybe just asking them for to accept whatever the outcome was. And my little sister, I'll never forget this day because I had been away for years and she's 10 years younger than me. She had intercepted the email because she had shared their account still. She was in high school or something. I think she was 14 or 15. And she just wrote back, whatever decision you make will be the right one. And I was like, who are you? Where did you come from? And it was exactly yeah. what I needed to hear at exactly the right time. And, hmm. and that was it. You yeah. know, and she was just kind of, it was this really young, mm. fresh yeah. wisdom, just That's funny. short and sweet. Yeah. That was good. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I went to school for theology, sound engineering and then theology. Well, that kind of, I um, feel like that's a very good fit. I feel like you're yeah. still doing, <laughs> I feel like you're doing exactly that right now. So it's kind of like, yeah, uh, you followed your trajectory. Yeah, maybe a little bit for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so did you grow up here? I did. Homegrown. Yeah. Yeah. Where did you go to high school? I went to CNS. Okay. Cicero, North Syracuse. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, so you went to school at FIT? Yep. I went to school a lot of places before I got to FIT, but okay. that's that's where I 
Yeah. Yeah. And then... Got my undergrad and my... Well, my four-year degree there. Okay. And then came back. Came back. And then went to Manhattan. So, uh, yeah, I kind of bounced back and forth. FIT right. was in Manhattan. Okay. Um, and was just around the corner, actually, from the culinary school that I ended up going to. Okay. Um, I was managing a tea house at the time called Ellis's Teacup up on the Upper West Side. Oh, cool. And it was just something I really, I love doing. And I fell into that job by a school assignment hmm. where we had to, it was a public speaking course and we had to find someone that we wanted to emulate someday. And at that time I thought all I wanted to do was own my own tea house. Hmm. Not all that I wanted to do, but the focus I had was, was that I, ended up bridging into international trade and we always needed to find a commodity to focus on. So mine became tea and it was just kind of like a downward spiral from there where I was like, okay, tea, entrepreneurship. I met this woman um, who ran, owned a tea house on the Upper West Side. And a couple months later, I quit my marketing job at the time and <laughs> took a like 50% pay cut. And for me at that time, living in New York City was a lot because- Yeah, I'm sure. You know, just meant like essentially minimum wage. And um, and I loved every minute of it. I just, mm. I adored it. I adored the management. I I told them what my long-term goal was. And I just wanted to learn everything I possibly could from them. Um, and then as, I w and as my steps were unraveling, it was like, okay, well, I kind of want to learn more about the food aspect of this or how to put a menu together. Um, and I had always been intrigued by cooking and... Loved the idea of doing something culinary related, but never thought I could actually go to school for it. Hmm. Um, and was also lactose intolerant for most of my life, I should add. So like going to any other culinary school besides the one I went to would not have made sense. Hmm. So Natural Gourmet is 99% vegan, plant-based. Wow. Um, they've now been absorbed by ICE, International Culinary something, I think. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. So they have an East Coast and a West Coast campus now. Um, mm. And it was really interesting because I had known about this school because my sister um, was obsessed with Vegetarian Times when we were little mm. and she'd always flip to the back and she would get all the pamphlets and the brochures <laughs> for this school and she just wanted to go there so badly and you know, however many years later, 15, 20 years later, it was like, oh, I took a public cooking course at Natural Gourmet. It was so cool. I loved it so much. I think I'm just going to sign up full time. And she was like, what? No, <laughs> like, that was my dream. You, like, why do you always do that? Like, you just do something a little bit and then you just like fly off the handle, you know? And I'm like, well, if it's your dream, like, you better do it, yeah. you know? <laughs> and yeah. she did. She she figured it out. She had a four-year-old at the time. Wow. And we commuted Okay. I would commute back with her on the weekend. So I was back and forth between New York City and Syracuse hmm. um, quite a bit. Yeah. Um, probably the last, well, since 2002, really, hmm. even up until a couple of years ago, I would kind of bounce back and forth and hmm. stay there for a couple of months and come back. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's something really energizing. It's definitely a vortex down there. Yeah. And, you know, I always tell people, even if you're from here and you you want to stay here and have this as your home base, it's so important to travel. It's so important to explore other cities and yeah. understand their cultures. Um, and then carry that around in your pocket while you're here. Maybe you won't hate it so much. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, yeah. I get really I, I was so down on Syracuse and now 
I'm a huge advocate. And, and of course, when I hear people complain about it, it's really frustrating for me. Yeah. Um, because we have so much going on here and so much more than we ever did, I feel like, for when sure. I was growing up. Yeah. So it's definitely a love story for me, for yeah. Syracuse. Yeah, I'm really uh, impressed with how the city has changed um, so much, even just in the past, you know, four or five years. Yep. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, just the way that it's grown. You know, I was, I, my sister was in town, uh, just, you know, for Thanksgiving yeah. and we went to brunch at, um, Oh My Darling. And even just like sitting at the bar and my sister who had lived in Syracuse for like a summer, you know, 15 years ago. Um, and you know, none of my siblings grew up here. They all grew up in Kentucky. Then my family moved here when I was 13. And so, but my, I'm the youngest. So all my siblings were in college or doing their thing. So I was the only one that ever grew up in Syracuse, but, um, they all hate it. They can't stand. They're like, there's nothing to do here. You know, she lives in Nashville, another brother's in Cincinnati, another one's down Mm -hmm. in New York city. So, but taking her to, oh, my darling, she was out of her mind, like, this place exists in Syracuse, you know, and, you know, we're sitting at the bar and I'm like explaining, yeah, this was actually two buildings and they, you know, see that archway, they knocked it down Mm -hmm. and, you know, all the work that they did and, you know, then talking to her about the expansion of everything. So yeah, it's definitely really encouraging to see how the city's changed. And over the summer, just driving around downtown, you know, from meeting to meeting or whatever, and seeing some of the people that are walking on the streets and, you know, for a really superficial um, example, but seeing how some of them are dressed, mm-hmm. and I'm like, wait a minute, what are, <laughs> what, are, what are people like that doing here? You know, um, yeah. you know, where did they come from? Why are they in Syracuse of all places? And we've always had undercurrents of that. I mean, yeah. there have been so many things that have been invented in Syracuse, created in Syracuse, and um, and there is such an amazing art and music scene. It's just a little bit. It's yeah. a little bit hidden. It's a little bit hard to get to. Yeah. Um, but I found, and I said this during our last talk together, it was just that um, I didn't I didn't see a lot of what was going on agriculturally appear on the plate or like in, yeah. in the storylines of these different food establishments. And I think now, you know, it's, it's fun to see like Mark from yeah. Farm to Fork 101 and, and like, those conversations started in that in little lofo you know mm-hmm. like like his story kind of begins when he like his wheels start turning like oh like we need him and now that movement is growing and there's still only a small handful of people kind of like screaming it from the rooftops but sorry um i do i listen to joe rogan all the time and uh it might take me a week to get through an episode but i'll listen to it <laughs> um i just forced myself to Listen to the entirety of his interview with Ted Nugent, you know, and that was over three hours long. That was pretty painful, but I still did it. You're so committed. Yeah. Maybe that's why the research I know, I so like, much. I was going to say, I'm hearing uh, some parallel <laughs> commentary here. Um, I go between podcasts and, uh, and book, you know, audio books yeah. when I'm in the car. I'm listening to one right now. My brother suggested that he's he had to read in his um he's going for his masters in divinity 
and it's Malcolm Gladwell, and it's, I forget the title of the book, but the whole premise is just stories of, they're horrific stories, but they're stories of basically people who have done terrible things. It's the, um, it's not talking to strangers. Actually, I have it right here. It's something about strangers, isn't it? Yeah, that's talking to strangers. Talking to yeah. strangers, yeah. That's such a yeah. I scary... I started it, um, started over the summer, and then I just kind of lost track of it. So I should probably pick it up. Yeah, it's right, a scary, right scary book. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I'm hoping that there's a resolution because right now it just feels like it's really terrible. Like, yeah. Okay, he's, don't trust. He's anybody. got a. I'm sure he has a punchline. He, he's yeah. Malcolm Gladwell. Right. <laughs> None of his other books have ever disappointed. It's, yeah. But this is definitely the darkest one I've ever yeah. Yeah, heard it's from him. Rough. Yeah. Um, you know, Syracuse for me has always the art scene and maybe some parts of the, not all the business, but parts of it. And, um, and I've slowly, I'm changing my view on it as time goes on. But um, is always the art, the music. Uh, not all of it, but I will generalize by saying the music and the art scene to me has felt like an inter like a um, interpretation of better. Mm. You know, like um, you know, when I was seventeen and I would listen to Dashboard Confessional, <laughs> you know, in my bedroom. <laughs> uh, you know, I would then pick up my guitar and like sing some really shitty song, right? So. <laughs> Or like I would like this get the chords. I would get the chords off of like Ultimate Guitar and try and you know replay the song, and it was always terrible. <laughs> no, and that's how no, and that's kind of how I've, for a long time, viewed the art scene in Syracuse. It's like trying to recreate something that they saw or heard somewhere else. Mm. It's just their shitty interpretation of it. Um, there's not all of it, you know. There's definitely, you know. Kath was doing her sound scene podcast and I was helping with that. And so there'd be some people that would come in. I'd be like, Oh wow, you're extremely talented. Um, Oh, what is his name? Chris something. Oh God, it's going to drive me crazy. Oh man. He's from Syracuse. I can't think of his name. He's a guitar player. He's a guitar player and singer. He's Um, the most talented musician in Syracuse I've ever heard. Yeah. Um, I know him. I'm like, why can't I think of his last name? I don't even want anyone to hear this because um, it's going to be embarrassing. I'm like, yeah, I know exactly who he is or who you're talking about. No, it's not him. Um, Is it Chris? Is that his name? Yes. She's. um, Let's see if I. No. Shoot. Oh, man. Edit this part out. (laughs) No, I'm going to leave it in there. I don't I don't edit any part of the podcast. (laughs) Um, but, um, uh, anyways, his story, he is extremely, I mean, you know, he, he builds his own guitars. He I plays think so. his own guitars. Yeah. I know him well. And that's why I'm frustrated <laughs> by this oh, right now. Man. Cause all I can think of is his sister's last name and it's not the same name. Uh, I wonder if I can, maybe he's like Madonna and he doesn't need a last name right now. <laughs> right. We can just yeah. call him Chris from Syracuse. Um... I wonder if this is the name of the song. I'm going to search this real quick. Um, I don't know if it's She's Everything to Me. I don't know if that's the actual I'm like, title. can I text a friend? I know. I want to text Kathleen right now and be like, who is this guy? We need to figure this out. Is that loud? Yeah, I don't care. Do you want to... 
Do you want to go get that other bottle out of the fridge for me? Oh, man, what is his name? Chris Eves. Yes! Yes! Anything But Ordinary is the name of the song. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I I did an event. I used to do a lot of crazy events at the restaurant. It was very experimental. Um, And that's what I loved about it was that it was mine, right? So it was like I could do whatever I wanted day to day. You know, we had crazy things on the menu. And my staff would always joke because... We have that bottle open. Like, sometimes we were actually, like, sawing tables in half because we booked too many four tops for Valentine's Day <laughs> dinner, and then people were pushing them all together at the end of the night, singing a jolly tune. And Yeah. Um, we did one called, um, what was it called? Like, Pass, Pass, Give, or... It was... It was a play on words, obviously. Yeah. But what we did was... <laughs> we were sitting in a, in a circle... With a tiny stage in the middle, and we had a guitar, and essentially there were five musicians, five or six musicians planted around the circle, in which when it came time that the guitar guitar got to them, they would step into the circle and they would play. So it was kind of like a dinner and a concert. Yeah, that's cool. But the musicians were sitting with you. Oh, that's And cool. if you weren't a musician, but you did just want to play something, you were welcome to. Hmm. And he was at that okay. event. And sometimes people will still come up to me and be like, remember that crazy event? You know, because there was only like 25 people there. Wow. But it was like in a back room, down an alley. That's like, really cool. You know, things like that. It's difficult. It's difficult to know all of the little things like that that are actually going on. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he did a phenomenal job. And I'll just never forget, you know, these musicians one by one stepping into the circle and, and their performances. And I wish I had every single one of those hmm. documented. But yeah. part of it, part of kind of the awesome piece of it is that it's not. Right. Like you were there. Yeah. And you were really there. Right. And that's it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> it, not everyone was filming things on their, right. on their cell phones. And yeah. Um, I think the really important things probably shouldn't be. Yeah. Um, Chris was on Kathleen's podcast and uh, told a story. I'm pretty sure this is the story, how the story goes, but because I was like dying laughing. (laughs) The first season of American Idol. And they were doing uh, auditions in Los Angeles. And so Chris, um, I don't know if you want to try that, but help yourself if you do. Chris. um, If I do, I'm going to make you pour it for me. Okay. Chris drove got in his car and drove across the country to Los Angeles no. to audition for this for American Idol. And he got out there and showed up to the day of the auditions and saw how long the line was and it was going to be like a multi-hour wait and he doesn't like waiting in line so he just didn't audition after he had just driven across the Stop. country. <laughs> and I forget how the <laughs> and it's just like Especially because all I'm watching right now is Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah. So it just, it's like the most Larry David story that you could that ever imagine. perfect. And, um, I mean, I was crying laughing. <laughs> and um, I've told that story to so many people who have no idea who the hell Chris, like friends and family all across the country who have no idea who Chris is. But I've just Amazing. told that story so many times. And I think he wound up actually getting... 
somehow or another got a gig. He was actually playing like acoustic guitar in the band during the first season, like backing up the contestants. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Um, Chris is extremely, Corey Page is extremely talented. There's a lot of talent, really talented people here that are original. And, um, you know, definitely Chris and Corey are two of them. Um, but yeah, I think that's changing, you know, little by little, you know, uh, my perception of it, you know, of the art scene in Syracuse. Yeah. And, um, you know, people are, it's one of the, I don't like to, I, I find, especially now, like in the restaurant world and like chefs and restaurant owners, if I if I find myself having a certain level of like a, admiration for the person, I don't want to get to know them. Hmm. I don't want to become friends with that person. Interesting. Um, because I want to kind of keep. I'm that. kind of offended. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I've had a lot of these. Well, because here you are getting yeah. to know me. I'm like, what level am I on? Well, no, just no, kidding. The podcast is a different story. Um, uh, I won't ever text you to hang out or anything like that. So. Okay. Noted. Um, uh, and I don't just have means, time anyways. No, that, just means I had, that just means I admire you. Well, you're not a chef, Kristen, so take it easy. Um, uh, yeah, but um, yeah, I just don't because, you know, I want to kind of keep the mystery. Yeah. <laughs> That's, you know. It's, I mean, I have to really admire that because the town is so small and yeah. it is so intimate and it's what I love about it and it's what makes it challenging is everyone yeah. really does end up knowing everyone, right. you know. Yeah, for sure. Um, and that can make things really comfortable or it can make things very uncomfortable. And Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Sometimes when I go to New York City, everyone's like, why, where do you, where, why do you keep going to New York City? And I'm like, to do nothing, to be yeah. no one. You know, it's just yeah. I want to go into a grocery store and not have a conversation with anyone. <laughs> and I love that when that happens here, but it yeah. makes it hard to get a lot of stuff done. Oh, for sure. So when I just want to think or I just want to write, and focus i really need to be almost isolated yeah where there's eight million other people that don't know me <laughs> right yeah that's pretty interesting yeah yeah um yeah i want to get down to the city more often for you know just to kind of explore it and uh you know kind of see i really enjoy traveling and seeing what other places are doing in their food scene and like in their city have you been in Asheville to see your sister? I not to see my oddly enough not since she moved there. <laughs> really? But okay. My sister and I used to live in uh, Central Texas mm-hmm. in a place called Colleen, Texas, mm-hmm. best known for Fort Hood Army Base. Okay. Uh, don't ever go there if you can avoid it. Um, it's a sh- terrible, terrible, terrible oh, place. No. Um, I lived in Texas for about two or three years and um, worked for a mega church uh, at the time really? when I was out there. Yeah. I worked for a mega church. I, my sister is a traveling minister. Yes. And that's right. That. We talked about that. And so for like the first year I kind of worked for her and then part-time and then for this mega church part-time. And then the rest of my time there, I worked part-time for a family that I was their Manny. They had 13 no. children. Manny. A Manny. 13. They had 13 children. Oh my God. And, um, <laughs> that is not a Manny position. They, they that were. is, I'm not even sure what to call that. They tricked you. Right. What, did you have they any assistance? <laughs> like, it what was, the hell? What is this? The sound of music? <laughs> what are you doing? Yes, it was. They, they, so they were a foster family. So they, oh they, my goodness. 
They had um, six foster care children, okay. and then the rest were their biological. Um, and, uh, yeah, the family went to the church that I worked at, and, um, yeah, they needed help, so I went up doing that part-time. And, um, yeah, that was fun. That does not sound like a part-time job. No, it, I mean, <laughs> I definitely worked full-time hours. I yeah. mean, yeah, I was 20... <laughs> 27, 28 at the time. And, um, uh, right. Yeah. 27, 26, 27, 28 right at the time. And, uh, so I would get up to their house, which was like 30 minutes away from where I lived at like six, six thirty in the morning, help get the kids ready for school, take some of the kids to like daycare, you know, doctor's visits, pick them up. I mean the whole nine, it was a lot for sure. Um, uh, it was pretty interesting, pretty interesting year of my life. Was that uh, the craziest that. job you've ever had? What's the craziest job you've ever had? Uh, that was probably it. Yeah. Um, that was definitely the craziest job I've ever had. Uh, I've worked, what else have I done? Um, I worked third shift at the Denny's on West Genesee street the year that I graduated <laughs> high school to save up money to move to Ohio. And, uh, really you picked Denny's to save I up picked, money. I don't know why <laughs> I applied for like a server position. Like, I was 18 and they were like, you know what? You do like better the in the kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> and, Thank so, and so I was cooking third shift at Denny's for like a summer. And, uh, so you make a mean grand slam. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I was, that was, that was kind of an odd job for sure. Um, so I did that. I used to work commercial construction. Uh, I used to run, Sound for bands and bars in Cincinnati in nice. Northern Kentucky. Yeah. And, uh, uh, that was fun. I really enjoyed that. And, uh, what else have I done? I've sold mattresses. I own my own furniture store. You do own your own furniture store? No, I did. Store? When I was okay. 21 years old, I owned my own that's furniture store. That's very cool. Yeah. That's, was that here? Yeah. That was in East Syracuse. That was a, that was a mistake. That was not a fun <laughs> That was a terrible. Amazing. That was a mistake. That was definitely a mistake. Um, See how many times you can decide. And if you don't like it, you just go to the next thing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We just spend a lot of territory. I know. Yeah, I've done that. And then uh, what else have I done? I I think from furniture, I was then, I went to Cafe Kubal and uh, then Gerhardt's. And now here I am, here local New York. So all of those things in such a short amount of time. It happens. Yeah, it does happen. Uh, but yeah, I was a Manny for about a year. Yeah. I love that term, Manny. <laughs> <laughs> that was a fun time. I don't know if I've ever met a Manny. Yeah. Well, now you have. Very cool. Um, yeah, it was fun. You know, it was, um, you know, it was uh, eye-opening and a little... Uh, terrifying yeah, yeah well no. <laughs> um, <laughs> so scary i was a nanny for two well for twins two-year-old boys okay for like a summer yeah that was enough for me really that was enough yeah yeah i enjoyed it i mean i think you know i think a big part of it was i was dumb enough to um uh, it was it was kind of fulfilling and maybe an unhealthy way to be like the caretaker, yeah. you know, um, but it uh, really opened my eyes to um, just how 
fucked up the foster care system mm. is. Um, and, uh, and just like how bad, you know, other people have it, especially kids. Yeah. And, um, so that was really eye opening. And, um, I got to travel a lot when I was, when I lived in Texas, you know, I mean, we worked for, I worked for this mega church where, you know, the band director of this church had two degrees from Berkeley. And, you know, we had like Grammy award winning artists come through the church and, you know, I'm like, you know, handing them their microphone and telling them when to go on stage, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. So parts of it were really fun. Um, and parts of it just really, really, really sucked. Um, so I got back when I was a Manny, I went to San Diego with that family for a month. We lived in San Diego and, um, uh, uh, Coronado Island, like right on oh, the beach nice. for the whole month. Yeah. Uh, they were a military family. So we were like on the military base. Um, and the last week that we were there, I took off, uh, uh like a break and I rented a car and I drove up the coast to Redding, California, which mm-hmm. is almost at the top. It's at the top of the state. Um, and visited this like really popular church that's up there that I'd always wanted to visit. I spent a week there. And then I left Reading at like midnight, drove a little bit, slept in the car, drove all the way back down to San Diego, met back up with the family. The next day, the next morning, we drove back to Texas. So that was like a two or three day trip. And then I spent three days in Texas. The family was moving to San Diego. They bought a house while they were there. And I decided I didn't want to stay in Texas. So I put whatever would fit in my Chrysler Sebring at the time and left and, you know, left again at like 11 at night. Oh, my God. <laughs> Slept in my car and various parts on the way just because I wanted to get back quickly. And So did you come back. back here? I came back to Syracuse, okay. yeah. It always pulls you back. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those apples just always yeah, rolling back to the tree. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah. That was a fun time, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that was a fun 25, time. 26, I don't know how you can do it, but you can do anything. I yeah. just, a friend of mine just texted me a picture of something that I don't remember giving him, but he's moving, and it's like a little hand-carved wooden Moncala box yeah. Yeah. that I got in Zanzibar. Hmm. Um, and when I was 25, I came up with this idea after that whole tea thing loving tea studying tea thinking i want to have a tea shop and i'm like well i need to see it like i need Mm. to see where it grows because i'm an extremist just like yourself sounds like and i was just like okay if i'm gonna do this like i want to see the tea fields yeah i want to understand where it's growing i want to know the people Mm. i want to see the countries i want to feel the air and Mm. i went i just i had this little book it was called the tea companion it was a map and Mm. i just booked 13 flights throughout india and africa and southeast asia and for three months, I just three and a half, four months, I went hmm. and That's why. I had no idea where I was going. I didn't have any plans that like you can't read, like you can't find a tea field on the Internet. Yeah. Or I couldn't in 2007. Anyways, hmm. they weren't really listed as points of business or anything yeah. like that or even really points of interest. Um, so what I did was I got to. South Africa is my first, I mean, the night before I left or or the day I was leaving, I was really just like, who let me do this? Like, but I didn't ask anyone, right? By that time you're 25 and no one's really going to tell you no, but in just my mind, I was just going. Hmm. Um, 
and I had like a little three-day camp pack, mm. and I had all my tickets, like my stack of tickets that I had like bought without even knowing like how big Africa is, <laughs> you know, it was like, oh, I'll get to this place at this date and I'll fly out on mm. this date and like not even really understanding like how large a continent can be or a country. Yeah. And um, so a lot of mistakes made there. But what, what happened is I got to South Africa, Cape Town for my first mm. point on the map. <laughs> and I really wanted to find rooibos tea, red mm. bush tea, which was my favorite and still really is. And I just started asking people, like, where can I find this tea? Like, mm. this is obviously it's only grown here everywhere out of everywhere in the world. Like, someone's going to know where to send me. They're like, what, why do you want to go? Where are you going? Like, do you want to go shark diving? Do you want to go <laughs> sandboarding? And they were, like, really just completely confused um, and ended up finding it. But it was five hours north. Mm. Uh, I remember taking a bus in the pitch black not knowing where I was going to arrive. And the woman was like, well, where, how are you going to get to my place once you get here? Because I'm like on online yeah. arranging something of an Airbnb, but Airbnb didn't even exist yet. And, you know, I was like, I don't know, I'll take a cab or whatever. Once I get to the bus station, she's like, you have no idea where you're going. Like, hmm. there is no such thing as a cab up here. <laughs> like, I will meet you. You know, and I remember this huge, like, bat landing on the windshield and the bus driver had me in the front seat because he could tell I was just like scared and didn't know where I was going. And, uh, you know, I screamed because it was terrifying and it was pitch black and he didn't even blink. And he was just like, you know what we say? If you worry, you die. <laughs> and if you don't worry, you still die. So <laughs> what's the point? <laughs> like, kind of like, why even worry? Because yeah. <laughs> at the end of the day, <laughs> the result's the same, That's you funny. know? So I always remember that, but Many, many, many things through those travels. But after he sent that to me, I was just like, man, I don't, one, remember giving him that. Two, just, I don't know how I had the courage to do it, yeah. you know? I don't know at 38 hmm. if I would just up and take three and a half months to be like, here yeah. I go, <laughs> right. traveling into the unknown, you know, like traveling throughout India. And yeah, yeah there, were, there were some interesting, scary slash fun, very enlightening moments throughout sure. that trip. But um Hmm. But at the end of it, um, I didn't open a tea shop. Hmm. And, the, and a man in India actually called it, and he was just kind of like, I don't think it's the tea that you're after. I think it's the story. I think it's the adventure. And I think hmm. it's like the idea that all of these points connect you yeah. to something else. Yeah. And, and that's how it still is. Hmm. Yeah. Are there any trips or experiences like that that are kind of on your Horizon now. Yeah. <clears throat> you know what is so interesting? I, my dad was a pilot when I was younger mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I really had like this unfair advantage to just go anywhere, anytime. Um, travel was very easy for me when I was little and it gave me a very skewed sense of reality. And I used to have a really long list. Um, and I think I mentioned this the other day too, didn't ever think I would end up in my hometown of all places. <laughs> you know, I could end up anywhere in the world. And, and now I just don't think about travel as much. Mm. Um, I love to go anywhere, you yeah. know, like I could go to Rochester for a night yeah, <laughs> and find right. an amazing experience there. Um, or I would love to go to Vietnam, you know, or, yeah. you know, and I have a friend in Hong Kong. I mean, I have friends all over the world that I would still love to see and to travel to. But I'm, I'm content now and the way that I don't itch the way I used to, to 
need to get to these places. It used to be if I saw it and I heard about it, like I needed to get there. Yeah. Um, it was borderline addiction. I have to admit, yeah. like I, I needed to get on a plane and step off and like feel that space. And now I'm just very satisfied, you mm. know? Um, but of course I would still like to explore. There's just not one pressing place. Like yeah. if you told me I had to go get on a plane now, I'd have to think about it for a minute. Really? Yeah. Huh. <clears throat> for sure. I had this dream maybe three or four years ago and, um, it was like this really vivid dream, and it made zero sense at the time. <laughs> but most of the time, it was, do. there were like those, you know, Danish like windmills. You know, mm-hmm. I think they're Danish windmills <clears throat> or whatever. And um, uh, yeah. Anyway, so <laughs> I woke up. <laughs> I woke up from that dream, remembering every single detail of it. Mm-hmm. And when I woke up, I just had this like undeniable truth that I had to get on a plane and go to Hamburg, Germany. I had no that idea so why. That is so funny. That's <clears throat> where know. my grandma's from. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, one is from Hamburg and one's from Frankfurt, so go figure. That's funny. <laughs> hot, dogs, hot dogs and hamburgers. <laughs> I mean, I know no one, you know, that's yeah. there or anything like that. There's zero connection. But I just had this, like, burning deep truth that so did you go no i never went what do you mean <laughs> why was it wasn't that burning <laughs> you better get there no i didn't go do you remember the dream uh yeah i do okay. it was like kind of like a, a really i would I'd imagine is like a, <laughs> a really typical male dream in this dream there was like this like these windmills and I was in like this small village and this thing this space probably doesn't even exist in hamburg germany but um, there was like this woman in this dream and, uh, you know, that was pretty much it, you know. And uh, and like I said, when I woke up, I was just like, I have to get to Hamburg, Germany. Um, it was very strange. How long ago was this? Three or four years ago. <clears throat> okay. I was dating my now wife at the time. No. Uh, yeah. And you didn't um, go book a trip with her today? I did not, no. Did you tell her about the dream? Uh, yeah, I did. Okay. Yeah. And she said, well, who is this woman? No, I'm uh, <laughs> um, uh, no but um, yeah, but, you know, and I've thought about it a few times, like since then, like maybe I should go now. But um, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, if you had the option to go somewhere, is that where you would pick? Um, I think it depends on it for how long. There's a big part of me that wants to uh, like live in Hawaii for a time. Um, you know, we went there on our honeymoon and, and I just couldn't get over it. And, um, you know, so there's a part of me that wants to live there. I think it's, you know, kind of what we were talking about earlier there. Um, I haven't, which I know it's not the case, uh, but I haven't, um, yet come to the understanding that like I've picked, I've, I've chosen the path, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And, um, and I think that is a challenge of getting older, even though, th- you know, I, that sounds dumb cause I'm 35 and I still have, you know, hopefully a long life ahead of me. But, um, uh, yeah, like, you know, as I feel like as you get older, those decisions are far more and like, there's more consequences to your decisions as you get mm-hmm. older. And, um, 
you know, I think it's probably just more responsibility, but, um, uh, but yeah, so I still haven't fully come to the realization that I'm not going to be able to experience everything I want to experience. Mm -hmm. Uh, because I do want to experience a lot of things, you know, I would love to live for a time in Hawaii. I'd love to live for a time in New York city. I'd love to live in the country Mm -hmm. and not be surrounded by anybody, but you know, like hunt and you know chop wood all day you yeah. know things like that but i um, think you'd be amazed at how much you can fit in in a short amount of time too. for sure like yeah. you could take a one-year hiatus yeah and you could do 12 different places right you know i i stayed in hawaii for two months after mm. we graduated college my one of my best friends we knew we were going to end up in opposite places she was going to be on the west coast i was going to be on the east coast And so, like, throughout college, we always said, like, we will, after we graduate, just spend two months somewhere. And we had this, she had a, she always worked for, like, uh, outdoor companies. So she had a Roxy poster on her Hmm. dorm room wall. And there was a surfer. And we're like, yeah, Hawaii. Yeah. Yeah, we'll go to Hawaii. So we found something on Craigslist where we could, like, water plants and take care of someone's cats for like two months for like $300 or something for the entire stay. It was amazing. It was in Paia. Hmm. Um, And yeah. And and after like the second week, I was kind of like, I'm good. I'm over it. You know, like we got there and I was like, (laughs) like, what are we going to do? Walk to the beach again? Like what? (laughs) You know, we didn't really have a car, so we couldn't really explore. It wasn't completely thought out, but we got there. We said we were going to get there. We got there. Um, (laughs) It was one of the largest earthquakes since the year I had been born. And it was like 6.7 on the Richter scale. And I was by myself in the house and I was just like, oh my God, you know, that was an interesting experience, you know, Yeah, be in an earthquake (laughs) in Hawaii when your house is on like little stilts and I'm just like, I can't remember what the emergency protocol is here. Like, do I go in a doorway? Do I get under a couch? I don't, do I run out? I don't know. Um, Hmm. But it was, it was very cool. But two months was almost too long. Yeah. To to like get the flavor. Like I I very quickly was like, so this is what it's like. Um, and I think maybe somewhere like New York City would take a little longer to kind of get into the intricacies of yeah. like a flow, but you could definitely experience quite a bit For sure. in a short amount of time. Yeah. And so I think all you have to do is curate it. Right. Yeah. And set your mind to that, like I mean, what the, that looks like. The, the plan is to become mm. a multimillionaire and then just be able to do whatever I want. Uh, sure. Whatever. But if that falls through... <laughs> That's plan A. Um, I'm the opposite of you. I'm like, where? how far can I get with $20 in my pocket? No <laughs> I've gotten to Cancun for a weekend and back. Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow. Another interesting story where I basically lived under a table, my friend's all-inclusive resort, and left with a beach bag. <laughs> when they were like, where's your bracelet? I'm like, never mind. <laughs> gotta, get, gotta get out of here. That's hilarious. But I made it a whole four days. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. It was pretty good. Huh. They were pretty stressed by it, but I thought yeah, it was, I I thought it was yeah. pretty entertaining. <laughs> oh. uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, part of my goal for the business is to turn it into a multi-million dollar business. You know, I either want to build it to a point where we have enough people buying a new card every year, you know, 300,000 people, whatever that number mm-hmm. is, um, or build it to a point where we have such an influence that another much larger company would come in and buy us. 
And um, uh, so, you know, and part of my goal with this money is, uh, you know, with like part of my goal for wanting to build the business that way is um, I've always, I shouldn't say always, since I like worked in the um, foster care world, mm-hmm. I've wanted to, and then people always tell me it sounds like a cult whenever I say what I want to do, but basically um, I want to have this like orphanage, this facility for like kids in foster care to be able to, you know, get out of the system Mm -hmm. and be able to live in and grow up in. And, but I want to employ like a doctor and Mm -hmm. teachers and, you know, chefs and, you know, have a farm and, you know, you know just like have this like yeah. really great self-sustaining place uh, somewhere in the country where, you know, 30 kids who and would instead be in foster care suffering whatever abuse that exists in the foster care program mm-hmm. could instead have a really great life yeah, and grow up to be healthy, whole, you know, humans. Right. Yeah. Um, because so many of them in the foster care system get treated so poorly. You know, the three questions I think that every, um, like, you know, uh, not CPS, but like social worker asks when they visit the home of someone who's fostering a child are, um, at least they were in Texas. I don't know if this is the case everywhere, but are, um, what did you have for dinner last night? Who cooked your dinner? And who does your laundry? Mm-hmm. Because it's so common for someone to take f- kids in and just essentially use it as a paycheck because they get paid, you know, from the mm-hmm. you know from the state for you know for those things. And so, in those cases, it's usually like the kids are caring for themselves, eating poorly. You know, essentially, it's like you know they're the maids or you know housekeepers, and um, you know not loved or cared for. You know, and the kids that I watched when I was in Texas as the Manny, I mean, just horrific situations that they came from, mm. you know, two year olds, you know. And so, um, you know, that's part of the goal with this is to, you know, make enough money to be able to build and then fund something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and also to move to Hawaii and, and live <laughs> the rest of my days there. Um, the rest of your days? Yeah. Um, no, but uh Yeah. So I don't know if we're going to get there or not. Um, I think we will. I hope to do it sooner rather than later. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you want to do it, you will. Yeah. Right. You'll do it until it gets done. Yeah. Hopefully that's sooner rather than later. (laughs) Uh, Well. Just manifest quicker. Yeah. That's 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 the secret. Everyone's like, what's the secret? I'm like, well. Yeah. Just accomplish the tasks on your list. That reminds me of like folded in. <laughs> Don't Just wait fold it. two years to, you know, I'm not saying you wait for anything, but yeah, that's thank you. when people ask, like, there's something magic happening. I'm like, no, you just yeah. have to get through it. And, you know, I, I get kind of frustrated because people always say, like, I have such good luck. And, like, I live in this mm. little fairy world bubble. And I'm like, do you know how long my days are? Right. <laughs> like, do you know how fast I run? I mean, Kristen sees me running and sweating. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but that's it. It's I don't, I don't get up and h- dread going to work. I don't even right. know what that 
yeah. means. You know, it's it's a very blurred line, and I don't I don't know that that part is healthy either. Yeah. But I'll pick it. I'll choose that over, you know, feeling like I don't want to get up and sit in a cubicle or I don't want to text for my boss and. Yeah. You know, try to incorporate that into the world that I build for the company, the people that work for me. It's like I don't want them to dread their job. I don't want them. Right. I want them to be behind the mission and the bigger picture. And yeah, you know, that's that's one thing I think I've noticed. Um, I mean, ideally, I was miserable at working at Gearhars. I mean, just absolutely miserable. And I think part of that is um, kind of my own. Uh, self-centeredness and you know wanting to be the person that calls the shots but um the one thing that i've noticed is how much people want direction Mm -hmm. oh my gosh yes very true and how few people have it um you know most of us don't really find it for ourselves and it's just kind of like hitting our head up against the wall knowing something's wrong but not being able to put our Mm -hmm. finger on it and you know me looking back, I, I know it's just direction and it could even be simple things like in your job. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you don't have a path that someone's laying out for you, they're not saying, Hey, here's the goal that you have to hit, you know, then it's, it's miserable, you know, even mm-hmm. if your job sucks. Um, so yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Someone has described me before as a feral cat, like the metaphor <laughs> of like watching me suffer within a workplace and being like, I had this feral cat and I didn't want to let it outside because I really was scared for it. Like I didn't want to lose it. I wanted him to come. I didn't know if he would know to come back, but he yeah. would just essentially throw his body up against this glass door and slither down it over and over and over again. And he's like, that kind of reminds me of you. And I'm like, well, that's hilarious. <laughs> is it a compliment? Is it, and now I look back and I understand, like, that's that's how I feel if I'm locked into something that isn't my own creation. And so, hmm. you know, I'm grateful for it. Yeah. Uh, that someone else can recognize that in me and that that's just the direction I take has to be one that I create for myself. Yeah. But I do often forget that it is more comfortable for people. So for my employees, for example, I'm kind of like, I don't really like to be told what to do every moment of the day. So like, here's the general concept of how we can run well, like just do the things that fit into that matrix and and it'll all work out. But the more specific you can be, I find the the better, the more comfortable it is for people. So you're absolutely right with that. Yeah. Hmm. Well, Abigail, Yes. Thank you for coming on the podcast. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, We didn't talk about anything that I thought we were going to talk about. Oh, shoot. Was there an agenda that (laughs) we made? (laughs) There wasn't. Uh, But this was a fun podcast. Yeah. I may say that this was my most fun conversation I've had this year on the podcast. No. Yeah. Have you had any others? (laughs) Kristen, wasn't this a fun podcast? Yeah. Right? No. Thank you. I thought it was great. Thank you so much for having me. It was fun. Yeah. I love the space. Thank you. Very creative. Yeah, thank you. Well, there it is, everybody. Thank you again for listening to the Local New York podcast. If you haven't already, make sure that you subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to this on. That way you'll be updated the moment a new episode is released. And don't forget to leave us a review. Let us know what you think of the Local New York podcast. You can also watch every version of these episodes over on our YouTube channel. And uh, yeah, make sure you visit us online. See everything that we have going on over at eatlocalnewyork.com 
That's all we have for you this week. Thank you so much. We're going to catch you next week right here on the Eat Local New York podcast.